How about now? Can you hear me okay? Wow. Here I am for five minutes, clicking buttons and hitting things, wondering why I couldn't get the mic to work. I had it muted. Totally had it muted. That was totally my fault. Here I thought something could come unsynced and such. And I'll have you know that I'm always in sync. Sometimes 98 degrees, occasionally a backstreet boy. But I am definitely in sync. Ooh, all right. Well, <laughs> I spent the last few hours prepping for all this, writing some more merged worlds, getting things done. Um, I'm not sure how much of this we'll get through today. I have a point that I'd like to consider a stopping point. Sometimes it's a really hard to judge know how long it's going to take to get there. And if it's too early, I'll carry into some of the other stuff. We should be able to get to at least that part. Um, this, of course, next thing I'm going to mention doesn't matter to 99% of you, especially those folks who are listening audibly. I will say that yesterday on the stream, I said I was going to go get my hair all cut off today because my hair's long. I have very long hair. And uh, I was going to, but we ended up spending the first chunk of our day at the vets for our little chinchilla not do, not feeling well. So... I did not get a chance. I'm going to do that sometime in the next days. Still going to happen. Keeping the beard, though. going to cut all the hair off. So, you know, if you're wondering, hey, this fat guy on the screen is hairier than I thought he was going to be today. That is why. So, uh, today we're going to continue our harrowing adventure. Well, I don't know if it's harrowing. I just have to determine what harrowing really means, right? Uh, we're going to continue our story. I'll do a just real brief catch up to where we left off. Uh, is he okay? He is. He had a little sore ulcer in his mouth. We took him last week, and they gave us some medicine. But he keeps spitting it up, and he's very hard to get in, and it was clumping in his hair under his neck and his chin, and I couldn't get it out. He's not a pet who likes to be picked up. So we've been struggling to give him, our me give him his medicine. We wanted to get all that cleaned out of him, but we're afraid we're going to hurt him. So we took him in. They cleaned him all up and got him all neatened and such, and they didn't even charge us anything for it. They have a wonderful vet's office here. Um, and they said he was looking better already, so we're going to go back to giving him his medicine tomorrow. i just going to have to do it. They showed me a little, a little slightly better way to be able to do it where hopefully it won't make him too bad. He had a little, a little sore in his mouth, so he wasn't eating a lot because of it. And uh, we just want to make sure he's doing okay. So, yeah. So, where we left off in our adventure, for those of you who have, may have just tuned in, um... Our heroes had traveled far, far to the north. Uh, yes, you are fine, MT. It is episode 69 for those of you listening. I will do my best to throw a giggity in here and here and there. <laughs> but <laughs> welcome, MT. Um, our heroes had traveled far to the northwest to answer the call. Uh, there was a need of assistance from a city up there. A small, I guess you could say, almost like kingdom without a king. I've often wondered what you'd call that. A community? It's too big for a community. Not an empire. Empire would, would, provide, would imply there's an emperor. Kingdom implies there's a king. So I'm not sure what I would call this, but we'll call it a kingdom without a king for now, until I figure out what word I want to use. Um, they went up there because they had been plagued by drow. Now our heroes have been, several times in their existence, have to deal with evil, evil drow. And... Um, having to help uh, rid the world of their darkness, and so on and so forth. And, you know, that kind of thing. Hmm. So they decided to go up there and try to help. And this kingdom without a king sits kind of surrounded by kingdoms themselves in, in a distance, but it's become a central trade hub. 
and the drow, which have moved into the area, um, I said like a year ago at this point, um, had been attacked, originally just stealing cattle and such, and then has gone to hurting and even killing farmers, and then now they're attacking the caravans. So, hired to help defend them. They've been in a couple of battles now. They never actually quite got to fight the drow. Um, and then uh, eventually caught up with a gentleman named Aaron. Aaron uh, is the was an older human hunter that was passing through the area. Hunter being an undead hunter, passing through uh, Serenity, told Dandy about this whole situation. So she hoped to catch up with him. Um, and when they did, he joined up the party. And then that evening over dinner, they all passed out because they'd been drugged by him. Uh, building Stoner says city or village. Thinking, yeah, city. I think would work. I think probably city is the best thing because it's like a, it's like a city, but it has land around it with villages that consider themselves part of it. You know what I mean? So, like a, I'm not sure. Kingdom without a king. Yeah. So, they, uh, Aaron turned out to be Drawell. Not just any draw elf, a draw elf that they'd run into many years ago on their very first adventure. And uh, he'd actually given Mercy her magical circlet that lets her see in the dark. Um, and it helped them some. And never heard from since. He and a large chunk of several hundred drow had escaped the drow kingdom underneath. Because they weren't really turds like the other drow. They were, they were of a, a younger mindset newer generation that realized the older generation's ways were only hurting them and killing them and tearing them apart and hoped to one day turn that around as you know, but then the entrance of nylat fire moon changed all that and they had to flee so the drow are being impersonated they're not the ones attacking the caravans they found is that there are Human, a group of humans or half elves and things like that, um, that are pretending to be drow and attacking, causing problems. So realizing they were in the wrong, they decided to go ahead and team up with Aaron, and they've gone back to the city of and see what's going on there. When they got there, they snuck in, of course, using their handy dandy chest of holding, which you know, chest of holding is. Uh, a regular big chest that you can climb into it, and it's a giant room inside. It's like a bag of holding. Um, kind of. It has some of the rules of a bag of holding, and some of them it's not. And it can be shrunk down to be a little pocket-sized box. And urine still can be inside of it and all the stuff, but inside doesn't shrink. It's a pocket to a alternative plane. So they decided that they needed to infiltrate the inn um, where Willem, the guy who... Uh, they kind of got hired at first to help save a caravan. See what was going on there. See if they can get more information. So, Percy, Templars of or Artemis's personal bodyguard and the uh, Templar of the healing, uh, dressed up in regular clothes and Aaron using it to his amulet to not look like a drow elf, went in here and went into this building to this inn to see if they could get some information. Um, and, you know, we're pretending to be from Oramon, uh, and just looking for work and such. Heard there was a call for work up here. 
Um, which is all true, right? That's how our party got up there. Um, so they thought they were being accepted. Like, yeah, come on, we'll get your room. Got up there, and Aaron managed to sense something amiss and dodge out of the way in time, but Percy was not so lucky and was clubbed over the head. Inside the room were two very large brutes. And Thomas, the guy they'd been talking to, um, made a comment that Mr. Willem was, had been looking for Percy and his friends. Uh, maybe Aaron could answer some of those questions for them. Which, at this point, would imply that Mr. Willem may not be the nicest person, even though he seemed really cool up front. Okay. Here. Right? Give me just a second, if you would. I just had someone throw a question about the channel real quick. One moment. Just make sure it's up to date. Huh. Let's see. Well, that's interesting. Didn't do what I wanted it to do. Okay, bear with me a moment. I have to fix something that didn't work. I don't think it's possible. Apologize for the interrupt in the story. Something, something broke that I have to fix real quick. If you'll all bear with me a moment. I'll edit this out of the audio version. Let's see. Let me grab that. Here. That. 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 All right. Bear with me. has gone silly here and I'm afraid it's going to kill the streams. So bear with me just a minute. This. Here's grab this. Something I was using has broken, and I apologize. It's going to take me just a minute or two to fix it, if you don't mind hanging out with me just a little bit. I promise I'll get it fixed. Or there's any. That's this. Saved. Anyways, I start going to this. So that's kind of where we left off. Um, one of those situations where, you know, things got a little funky. But um, overall, Percy's laying on the ground. Aaron's chilling there. Um, uh, trying to figure out how he's going to get out of this mess. 
There we go. All right, good stuff. Got this updated. So, and we're back to that. So, yeah. So, Aaron's kind of in a pinch right now, right? Because he's just sitting there and he's like, meh, what do I do, right? And that's not a good space to be in because he doesn't know how far to go, if you will, right? Because he's a drow. He hasn't still, even though he's been wandering the, the overworld now, I guess you could say, for 15 plus years, still not exactly the uh, knowledgeable about that much humans, even though we spent more time with humans than anyone else has. Right? So that could be a thing. And I'm waiting for this thing to tell me it didn't break again. God dang it. I'm just having a heck of a day with technical stuff. I apologize. I tried to reset some stuff earlier today. And it did not want to play nicely. Oh, I forgot to add. There. Is it working now? Is that good enough now? Okay. <laughs> I am so sorry for all that. All over the board. Um, doesn't have a king. That's cool. It is ruled by merchants. It has a mayor, but that's chosen by the, uh, by the merchants, if you will. So, and he seems to be a well-liked and nice guy. Problems with that, you know. They, I don't think they got chance to, but he seems like a nice dude, right? So, there's that anyway. So, Aaron's in his spot. What does he do? Well, Thomas immediately starts asking where the rest of them is. Aaron doesn't speak. He's not talking because he's not sure, again, if what he might say might give away who he really is, and he definitely doesn't want that to happen. So he's a bit of a spot. Um, so he's basically standing there with his weapons, just sitting still, trying to figure out what best to do. If he tries to flee, then he's leaving Percy at at, at the mercy. I keep doing that. Percy at the mercy of the bad guys. He doesn't want to do that either. A because he's not a jerk, and B because at the same time that is not going to acclimate him well to Dandy and her friends. But he's trying to rebuild some trust with them. But there's two really big, beefy humans. Thomas doesn't appear to be any slouch himself. After a moment or two of asking questions and then getting angry. Aaron is not replying. Basically, Thomas is like, all right, get him. Maybe you'll talk if we can be more convincing. And the two big lugs uh, that I don't have names for because it's not important, go marching in. So he doesn't have much time. He only had a moment or two to ignore questions to try to figure out. And he's in a, he's in a bedroom, in an inn. It's not that big. There's not a lot of room to move around in here. So he's kind of cornered. And he, definitely Thomas is standing in the doorway while the two big lugs are standing inside. So they come in, and as I mentioned, they had billy clubs. It's like sh They're short, but I mean, they're, you know, still a, a little thumpy club. And they try to get in close, but Aaron, of course, is he's he's got a sword. Um, he 
can do a wheel, but he does sword dagger. He does not do like two full swords. It's not his fighting style. Um, and in this situation, he's not whipping out daggers. He's got that. He's trying to parry best he can. The fact that he has a blade and they have clubs is actually helping slow them down a little bit, but in the tight space, it's only a matter of time. So, after a few minutes of, you know, just, not even finished, but after a moment, a few moments of, you know, stab, parry, swing, parry, thrust, yada, yada, he manages to be parrying and blocking their hits, and they're being careful because of the sword. But with the two big ones, they try to rush in and get him. You know, they're trying to rush in and grab him. They're not overwhelmingly strategic in their attacks. You know, they do the best they can. As they do rush in, he's, Aaron has manages to stab one, um, getting him kind of in the side, like not like in the stomach, but a little bit more in the side. He manages to sneak past and get a good stab. And the one big dude stumbles back, hand-holding his bleedy parts. But the other one, on the other hand, manages to hit him hard in the shoulder with his club on his knife hand, and his knife falls out of his hand. So now he's just using the sword, just a huge amount of ache in his left arm. So he's now down a weapon as well. Um, it's at this point that Thomas decides to step in and help. Now, Thomas is a swordsman. He appears to know what he's doing. He gets in there, and him and the other big lug are attacking. <clears throat> and Aaron is now being hard-pressed. And he's really pressed up against the wall, literally. There's nowhere else for him to go. Um, he does, fortunately a few swings and a few attacks and a few misses, managed to get the other brute right in the chest, the big guy. The big guy stumbles a bit, and as he stumbles backwards, Thomas is able to swing hard at the sword and knocks it out of Aaron's hand. It comes out of the guy's chest, too. He goes, oh, we're gurgling, because the sword just got yanked out, and he falls backwards. The sword falls and hits the ground a few feet away. And the jar of it, you know, he's got this sore arm Aaron does. Now he's sitting there unarmed. Thomas gives him one more chance. Tell us where your friends are and I might let you live. It's never a good threat. I might let you live. And in his head, Aaron's like, I've made way better threats. But it's not that threatening. I really, if I had time, I'd teach you to be more threatening. A good job. But again, he says nothing. He just looks at, at uh, Thomas irritated while he's trying to find a way out of this situation. Thomas again gets angry that this dude in front of him won't even talk to him. Won't even, even if he said, no, I'm not telling you anything, he won't say anything at all. And he heard him talk a little bit downstairs. Aaron talked a little bit. So he knows he could talk. It's not like a mute or something. He's like, I know you could talk. You're not willing to answer even by telling me to piss off. You're not doing anything. It's, just, it's frustrating. And so Thomas ends up making a a comment. Uh, Lines is like, "Well, I guess we don't need. I guess we don't need two of you to answer." Absolutely. And goes to kill Aaron. I'm gonna stab him. Aaron knows this is coming, but is trying to figure out a way. How do I not get stabbed and still survive, or get stabbed and still survive? Trying to figure out what move to make in this, and he doesn't have a lot. And Thomas. He's a pretty good swordsman. He's not like phenomenal. But he's pretty good. So it's not like he can just do some easy chump move and get out of this. Thomas 
pulls his arm back as if he's going to slash or stab forward. Because you pull like this, you could go step forward or you could slash. You could go either way. And then, about that time, large smashing noise attracts both of them as the window in the room bursts inward. They're both shocked, Aaron and Thomas, looking that way, bursting through the window and then rolling up onto her feet is little Dandelion in what she can only believe is the most heroic pose she's ever made. Um, like she's just, just, you know, she comes out like, ha ha, like she's feeling very good about the role. She didn't get cut by the window. She planned that really well. Uh, she feels the timing was excellent. She almost came a minute earlier, but really felt the drama wasn't quite at that point yet. You know, she wanted to make sure it worked and then she crashed in. She could have just crashed and landed on her feet, but she really felt this, the role. Uh, would give her take her in a little bit further, right? Gives her a little bit more closeness to what's going on, while at the same time giving that sense of grandoise entrance that she was really looking for in this scene. Hello, Spaslet. Good day, good day. As she comes to her feet in her pose, Thomas looks for a second and she whips a dagger, and sure enough, it stabs him right in the side of the arm. Because Danny's just savage with daggers. The only person in the known merged world universe who could match or potentially beat Dandy with daggers is Smallsius early. Smallsius is small, very dexterous, and a knife fighter by trade. And he's a warrior, not a rogue. From a character point of view, he's got a whole lot of warrior points and skills to put into daggers more than a more than a rogue does rogues have some stuff too but he gets to add a lot more to that so when it comes to dagger fighting melee specifically he would probably beat dandy she would probably beat him if it was a ranged dagger thing <laughs> hey, thank you for the happy 69th episode i'm quite pleased with it as well i'm going to try to to work in some bazingas from from you know time to time <laughs> because who doesn't like a pair of bazingas and for that I'll say giggity. Uh, but yes, Dan, Danny, heroic pose. Whips that dagger out, gets Thomas. Thomas stumbles back a little bit. Now, during this time, of course, a bit of commotion can be heard from outside the room, right? There's sword fighting going on upstairs. He stabbed the dude in the chest. That guy's going to go, Ur! and the first guy got stabbed in the hip, and he's on the ground. He's regained himself now, and he's got his little billy club. And two more gentlemen come into the room. Now, they're not as big as the first two, but they're obvious brawny lug type kind of guys. And, you know, that's what happens. So they, they, these two, uh, two other guys run into the room. They see one of their allies dead on the floor. Another one nursing a wound. Thomas has got a dagger sticking out of his arm. Aaron still looks like this white human dude chilling over in the corner. And here's this little girl in the most heroic pose any of them have ever seen. The only way that could have been cooler is she'd somehow rolled to get to it. They don't know. They came in after that. So it's still a very heroic pose. And <laughs> Thomas is angry. He's got, got a dagger sting on his arm. You know, he reaches up with his arm, pulls the dagger out, throws it down on the ground. He's not a knife thrower. He wouldn't get it. He wouldn't throw it. He would waste his time. Throws it to the ground. And where's that part? And says, uh, basically, you'll pay for that, you little brat. Because, you know, from a distance in the middle of the heat, probably could look like a kid to him. You know what I mean? Could be a kender, could be a kid, could be an elf kid. Who knows? Merge worlds. It could be anything. 
You're going to pay for that, you little brat. You're still outnumbered. Get them. Or get hers. Aaron had, during that thing, had kind of moved over closer to Dandy, grabbed up his sword. His arm's still really hurting from the club he got. He doesn't, he's, he's getting feeling back in it, but it's, it's nowhere 100%. But he does have a sword. He makes, he jumps across the bed to get to where Dandy is. And, uh, they're like, you're outnumbered. Get her. And Dandy quickly pulls something up and they all stop for a second. And her hand appears to be some type of small box. And she just laughs very, very evilly, which really wasn't her plan. But, you know, she tried to do more of a, a mocking laugh. It came a little more evil. She thinks with some practice in a future episode, she could do better. Um, some of the terms she's thinking in her own head may not even make sense to Dandy. But she has this little box and she throws it to the floor. And instead of bouncing or rolling, it just slunk, hits the floor and stays in place. And she goes, ha 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 ha, you are never outnumbered. When there's a darsh in your pocket and says a command word and the box grows to be a chest and the lid pops off and darsh comes diving outside, climbing up quickly. This is, imagine this, this little girl throws a box into the floor, then it gets big and then a minotaur climbs out of this chest. You're never outnumbered when there's a darsh in your pocket. Thunk. Darsh quickly, through the lid comes open because it auto pops grabs it and pulls himself up as quickly as he can, sees he's in a situation. The guys are like, what the hell? And then they, they try to get attention, but Darsh doesn't, isn't even armed at this point. He just reaches out with his great big hands and grabs the first two guys, which weren't the brute, and just starts smacking them together several times. Heads and bodies, and they're just getting the snot stunned. I mean, you see some blood, the tooth pop out. And thunk, thunk. And the big guy behind him He's a big guy, feeling courageous. Got a little stab in the side, but he should be okay. And you can hear it sounds like there's more commotion going downstairs. He decides to come in with his billy club again. And he comes in and he smacks Darsh really, really hard. And the club breaks. Darsh is standing there mad, holding two guys. And then he starts hitting him with the two guys. He just starts hitting the two guys on the... And he's just getting pummeled by these other two guys. Darsh, like I said, he's... Darsh, this is nothing, right? Like, to Darsh, he could lift up a car at this point. With physical strength, he could literally bench press a car. Strength-wise, he's insanely strong. And so he's using two of these people as weapons against the third. Now, it's in this moment, Thomas thinks he might be a little bit out of his league, right? He just had a knife in his arm. The little girl and the weird guy and the one guy unconscious could maybe take them. Uh, But this minotaur who barely fits in this room to begin with, a little bit more, Thomas thinks he can take. And so Thomas tries, behind the battle, to go shooting through the room towards the door. Now, Dandy sees this. Dandy sees this and is like, "Mm, don't think so. Don't think so. She doesn't want to throw a dagger because if something happens and she misses, she's technically throwing it at Darsh right next to him. And Darsh would probably not like it if he st- she stabbed him with a dagger again. In fact, the last several times she's done it, he's gone to great lengths to explain bad things would happen to her if she stabs him with a dagger again. So she's going to try not to. So the room they were in was relatively obviously occupied. It wasn't a completely empty room. There's some food or a little tray on the table next to her. She reaches down, grabs the first thing she can, and just whips it across the room with deadly accuracy. 
and it, head over head, boom, as right as Thomas is trying to rush past them, hits him clean in the, right there in the temple, and he just hits the ground, and it breaks, and he hit, not his head, but the dish thing or whatever it was, if you hits the ground, boom, boom, boom. Darsh, at this point, has dropped the other two dudes, and the other guy's on the ground looking up like, please don't. Darsh's like, no, I'm gonna. And just funks him at one time in the face, and that guy's face just caves in a little bit, and he crawls down. Right as he's doing that, the thing goes flying past his head, and it went, smash! And he's like, oh, this, he's like, oh, is it blood all over my face? And he looks up, and he goes like this. Butter! And Dandy's like, it's not my fault. I didn't aim for that one. It was the first thing that was there. He's like, really? He's got butter dripping down in his fur. He's like, come on now. She's like, I didn't. I, it was the first one here. Angry and frustrated and a little sticky, Darsh thing reaches over and grabs the door to the room and slams it closed. He can hear people coming up the stairs outside. He knows they don't have a lot of time. So he quickly, from his belt, grabs, because he keeps in his belt, hammer and pitten. I've talked about these for people who play D&D. One of the greatest things you can have in your pack, you can buy from a regular store. It's a hammer and it's a pitten. A pitten is like a great big railway spike, right? Big metal spike. can be used for climbing, rock, hammer it in, hook your chain to it, so on and so forth. But a pitten is phenomenal for keeping a door closed or keeping a door open. This is a wooden building. Dar sets the pit in behind the door and just one time, thunk, halfway into the wood. So now there's a metal spike in the wood. Anybody trying to push that door open, it's just going to press against it. They could probably still break it down, but it's definitely going to slow them down. You can do the same thing to keep a door open. The party has used them many times in many adventures. So now that that's closed, Dandy has helped uh, Aaron with Percy. And Percy's awake now, but a little, you know, a little sore himself. And uh, Percy and Aaron are, are climbing down into the chest of holding. Darsh waits till they're in there, and he looks at Dandy, and Dandy nods, and, he's, and he just kind of climbs in himself, and Dandy shrinks the box, pulls it up, puts it in her pouch, and then just runs for the window, jumps out and grabs the rope. She didn't put quite as much effort into this jump because there's no one left to see. Oh, I forgot to say, they also grabbed Thomas. They did take Thomas. I forgot to mention that it's here. They grab Thomas. And that's what Darsh does. And he throws him down and then he climbs in as well. And that's when Danny picks it up. And she jumps out, grabs the rope. Not as much flair on this one. There's no one left to see. But just a little bit of flair because in her mind, you know, she still thinks that if this was a play on stage, people would still get to see her. You know, the whole kind of concept. Welcome home, Jim. So, oh, it was a butter dish. Yes, it was, Miss Ashley. I was uh, very excited have the opportunity. I call back to it in the original story all the time, but rarely do I have an opportunity like this where it would work out perfectly to actually have a flat, like this type of situation. Trying to overkill it, right? And by the way, thanks everybody for coming and watching today. I appreciate it. If you're having a good time, please remember to click like. New to the channel, please be sure to subscribe. These stories are also available on iTunes and Spotify as an audio podcast, completely free if you're interested in checking out Merged Worlds there. Okay, now I've got my commercial out of the way. Dandy basically jumps out, grabs the rope, and climbs up to the ceiling. When they sent Percy and Aaron in, they decided to keep a watch, right? Through the windows the best they could, and it was mostly Dandy. 
She's the only one who could really sneak up and not be seen. And not because they didn't trust them, but Percy's never had to do something like this. And they don't know how good Aaron is. He's pretty good. He tricked them. But, you know, they're watching out for them. Not in a, we tr don't trust you because you're going to betray us. You know, we don't trust you to pull this off. And so when he's sitting there talking to the guys, and the guy's like, ah, let's go upstairs. Because Dandy's like, wow, they're going right into a trap. I can't believe they fell for this. This is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And she goes back to the party. She goes, yeah, they fell for a trap. Darcy's like, I knew they were going to fall for a trap. Like, what do we do? Uh, he's taking them upstairs. Maybe we can get to the window. All right, how are we going to get over there? Darsh, get in the box. And then they just did their little plan. Dandy was climbing up. She saw what was going on. And she tried to get in there just in the nick of time. Really, she could have got in there a minute or so earlier. But she was really aiming for a nick of time. It was her big entrance of the whole adventure. Who knows how many opportunities she'd have like this. So Dandy now climbs up to the roof and is making her way across the rooftops. The sounds of banging on doors... And the commotion from the building behind her uh, fades as she makes her ways away. And she goes a good distance, several blocks, to where the rest of the party is waiting for her. Mercy, Artemis, is Fia, right? That's the other three that are out hanging out there right now. We're just kind of hanging in an alley hoping everybody's okay. Um, so when they get there, they pop open the chest of holding. Just a quick, Dandy's like, get in there. We've got to get out of the city. And that's, that's a safe bet, right? Because all the people in the inn have to do is say that they were attacked by drow or something, right? Like, they'd be very easy to put the blame on the heroes. This Minotaur was in league with drow. Who's not going to buy that, right? Minotaur, very often, for humans and such, are viewed as an evil race. And they can be. But not so much today. So Mercy, Fia, and Artemis climb into the chest of holding, and Dandy proceeds to make her way out of the city, which for Dandy is not hard at all. You know, rooftop to rooftop, climbing walls, come through, and there's a bit of a commotion. You can hear that there's some guards being called, and very likely the type of thing I just said may be the information that uh, the people are giving back at the end as to why there's dead people and injured people. Um, Dandy doesn't know for sure, but she would assume it'd be something like that. So she manages to get out of the city pretty easy the same way they snuck in. And she makes her way down the road a bit and then out into the woods. And she travels a good distance before she opens the chest of holding. They're a good 20, 25 minutes away. Again, she's been timing it. Dandy's very good about remembering how much time they have full of air in there. Because more often than not, it's Dandy on the outside and everybody else on the inside. They finally reach a clearing where she feels it's safe to let everybody out. The woods there. Pops the chest of holding down, and everybody climbs out. Now, Thomas is put, drug out as well. Thomas is already gagged and tied up at this point, and conscious. Uh, the injury in his arm seems to be slightly healed. Artemis probably has something to do with that. You know, Artemis. <clears throat> they light a torch. They're far enough away from anything that they uh, believe could be a danger to them. They light a little torch, a little campfire, whatever. Something light source. And they just and they kind of recap, you know, at this point, everybody inside knows what Percy and Aaron said. Aaron is still in his human shape and form. Uh, he very rarely, when they're away from where the drow are, is going to switch into the drow mode. Because you never know, somebody might come across them, right? It's always safer for him and his people if he does not have any way of leading them back to the drought. Because if he gets captured for some reason, they don't take the amulet. They just may assume he's still a human, right? You know, they take his weapons. 
Artemis was also able to help heal him and Percy, so both of them are back, ready to go. Uh, let's see. Let's page here. <laughs> okay. So, in a complete 180, it's now Thomas who's about to be interrogated by Mercy and friends. And Mercy starts all the basic stuff. Tell us what's going on. Why did you try to, you know, hurt Percy and Aaron? They call him that, but about him being a drow. Why are you doing that? Where's Willem? What do you know about these fake drow? You know, they start hitting all the questions. And he's now pulling an Aaron. He's not answering. Sitting there not saying anything at all. Because he's a bad guy, right? These are good people. Not too worried about that. If anything, they turn him in, he turns a lie, whatever. He's got connections, obviously. The assumption here. They're trying to find out who those connections are. So, for a few moments, or in a few minutes, they try to get some questions answered. But he really doesn't answer any. Just refuses. While this is going on, Dandy's kind of watching. She gets an idea. And she goes over and she points to Aaron and Artemis. And she's like, I got an idea. Mercy sees them whispering in the corner. It continues. Darcy, you know, Darcy's like, oh, I'll hurt you kind of thing. And he's like, yeah, whatever. You know, he's not paying a lot of attention. Even though Darcy's a scary dude, he seems pretty confident in this situation. Well, then Dandy comes walking over. He's like, she looks at Mercy and goes, with me just like A steps back and Aaron and Artemis kind of come up and stand behind her. And he just looks at the Kendra, like, what's a Kendra gonna do? Find my thing here. Um and Danny's just sitting there and she looks at Aaron and Aaron changes and he's back into his original drow form. Now this, <clears throat> this gets Thomas's attention. There's a little bit of concern in his eyes there. Aaron reaches in and pulls out his dagger, which is a very nice dagger, by the way. And he's just kind of sitting in, and playing with it in a slightly threatening manner. And Dandy's like, you're going to start answering my friend's questions, or I'm going to let him have you. And the things he can do to you, Way worse than anything the rest of us can do. But, even if you're feeling confident that you still could, you know, keep control in a situation like that, she's then going to heal you. And he gets to start all over again. And we can take you to the point of death over and over and over until you answer my friend's questions. Thomas legitimately looks scared at this. And he's like, but she's a cleric of the light. She's a cleric of healing, but very often all clerics of good are considered clerics of the light. So I did want to clarify that real quick. She's not a cleric of the light, but all the good ones fall under that category. Clerics of the light. Just like all of them are clerics of evil, but there's only one that's actual darkness. Right? And Artemis just kind of looks at him, smiling, and she goes, she goes, that's correct. And you are a minion of darkness. And you'd be surprised how far I'll go to protect the actual image. Mercy and Darsh are next to each other like, 
Like, damn, that's pretty believable. Like, oh. And so the guy's like, fine, fine, okay, fine. Answer your questions. Just keep him away from me. His hands are tied, so he's not doing this. But he's going to keep him away from me. Danny looks at Mercy and goes, you may continue now. Walks off very, very proud that her plan worked. Uh, Artemis also walks back because she was not feeling very comfortable being threatening like that uh, and doesn't want to give away that she couldn't do that because there's no way she could have actually done that. Um, he gets back and Darcy goes, nice. And she's like, thank you. Artemis is feeling real good like, oh, I did a cool thing. Because, you know, Artemis, Artemis a lot of times doesn't get to be in that kind of a threatening kind of role. Artemis is like, yeah, tough, tough, tough cleric of healing. Don't make me heal you. How often can you say that, right? Don't make me heal you and then actually be a legitimate threat. I'll cure you and he'll infect you again. I mean, you know, it's, that's, that's not something a, a cleric of healing gets to do very often is threaten someone with healing. Except for maybe like an undead or worshiper of plagues. And that might be a little different. With Aaron standing there, still fiddling with his knife, Thomas becomes much, much more cooperative and begins answering Mercy's questions. It turns out Willem is, in fact, working with the Merchant Lord. A specific one, Valen Silverleaf, who's a half-elf. One of the uh, Merchant Lords that's been there the longest, actually. Turns out that Willem has a large camp of humans and half-elves, a couple of real elves, uh, full elves as well, up in the north, that what they'd heard about the camp was true. And there's even one hill giant left. They, they killed all the other. But, you know, there's one hill giant left. Uh, mixed with a couple goblins, hobgoblins, whatever, that are there just in case. Um, basically, what Valen is trying to do is trying to cause war between several of the different kingdoms um, on behalf of one of the kingdoms, that small one that always hates the big one. You know what I mean? I talked about that. There's a small one to the uh, west and the large one to the east. The caravan is coming from the east. The one in the west is involved in this. And is basically partnered with Valen to do this. And then Valen is basically going to trade goods with them specifically. He's cutting out the other merchant lords. And at the same time, Willem and people working for him are making money hand over foot, protecting caravans, occasionally getting attacked. Although Willem and his loyal people never getting hurt, of course. That's why they're the ones who are most sought after, because they do a good job. Even goes so far as to say that Will Willem was mad at first. That Mercy and her friends killed two of his hill giants. Those aren't easy to come by. Don't swing by a Walmart and grab a pair of hill giants. Um, it's upset that you're hill giants, but then when it you know got around that Willem and his men took out two hill giants to save a caravan, well, he could pretty much ask any price he wanted and had more caravans and people wanting protection from him than he even had men to use. So Tons of loot there. So, Willem gets a cut of the money from uh, and more from all the caravans, things that are getting robbed and such. They take anything of value, destroy what they can't carry. And right now, Willem is up at the camp preparing the large raid, which is going to take on that extra special caravan that's coming from the east. The one that I said there were only several days. Now, it's supposed to be well protected. But with a hill giant and ambush plant, it's going to be hard to do that. It's hard to protect it. 
they may have uh, some other. They also have like I think it is one or is it two. They also have a mage, so that's another thing that's going to help that they haven't used up until this point because that person looks nothing like a drow, <laughs> and so they've been you know kind of biding their time in case doing drow magic. So the party, once they get all this information, some more tidbits that Willem's running under that inn, uh, working with and for Valen, they get to chatting, leaving. Uh, Darcy's like, I'll look after him. You guys step over there. They kind of step over everybody else and start to chatting a bit. Like, well, we're kind of in a spot. Just go into town and accuse Valen. I may not go over well. You know what I mean? By now, we may already be listed as conspirators or evil or something. Plus, we don't have anything to prove any of this other than Thomas. We take Thomas in, all he's got to yell is, I was kidnapped, and that's not going to work well for us. So we need to stop Willem and his group from getting to that caravan. That could be the best hope we have of you know saving this whole situation from going down and maybe get the proof we need. We can get a capture a bunch of people dressed up like fake drow. They only have a few days left. They don't have a lot of time. But they did get directions from Thomas. They decide to keep Thomas. They get him tied up. They keep him locked up in the chest of holding. And they're going to make their way towards the camp. Their hope is to get to the camp. And even if there's a lot, because I think I had it written down that there's 40, 40-ish or so people and the hill giant. Then there's the mage and a couple goblins and like orcs, just miscellaneous grunt bad guys. Um, so overall, close to 46 to 50 people to deal with. And these guys are good, but that's still a large amount of people. Maybe they can cause enough ruckus to slow them down that they won't be able to get to the caravan. The caravan can just get through, then they've got all the time in the world to deal with what's going on. They decide they're going to make their way to the camp as quickly as they can. Uh, so they make their way back to their horses. I believe they're on horses. Were they not on horses? They had horses. I believe they're on horses. If I accidentally said they're not on horses, let's say they had horses. They go shooting towards this camp as quickly as they can. They're able to take main roads for a while, and then based on Willem's instructions, and... Uh, Directions, they know where the camp is, and Danny can start running point and things of that nature. It's times like this they can't help but miss the old flying carpet. Sadly, no flying carpet. They start making their way towards this camp. Now, on the way there, they don't run into any issues. They do start making some plans. What if we get there and we can't take them all? What are we going to do? Get there and we lose. How can we help people? And at the same time, while these things are going on, Mercy, Artemis, Dandy, and Darsh start talking about some other issues. Like, when this is all over, what do we do with the drow? Just leave them here? Can't just take them home. Neither Darsh nor Mercy can just move a bunch of drow in. Queen or not. That's going to cause a lot of drama. Hey, several hundred drow just moved in here. So there's an issue with that. Darsh, the same kind of thing. 
yanks a bunch of drow in, the drow have already, if you'll remember, at one point the drow were in league with the uh, uh, Blackhorn, the group, the the breakoff group that was uh, fighting the good guys and who was partnered with uh, Oromon. Because there was a drow on his ship, several of them, that they had to fight at one or one point that Dandy discovered when they were on their way to the the source and stuff like that, because they were also partnered with Nylat and he'd gotten them on the ship. So even as far as the southern seas, southern kingdoms, Drow are not looked favorably upon. You know, if we're like, hey, I got five or ten that need a place, you probably do that. But a couple hundred? Not just something you move in, you know? At the same time, they, when this is all said and done, they don't want to leave them in a spot like they were before. Wandering around trying to find a safe place, right? Because even if they can get in here and prove none of this stuff was the drow, doesn't mean the people around here are ever going to really be okay with that, right? And again, a lot of these folks are common folk. Farmers. So, you know, these are people who very often live on rumors and such. In a world where magic and bad stuff actually exists. You have to, I mean, you got to assume that makes things worse, right? Like in our world, you go to a small town, like, yeah, a small town, there's a ghost over by the bridge. You know, we're like, okay, ooh, some people believe that, some people don't, spooky. Man, this is a world where there could be three ghosts with swords and a lich hanging out by the bridge. This could happen. So when rumors spread, it's much harder to stop those rumors. Because it's like, ooh, drow, drow's going to kill us. But then, like, a bunch of drow show up. It literally could happen. And the next week, a bunch of bad drow could show up and kill them. It's just a lot harder in these situations. So they're putting some thought into what they can do to try to help Aaron and their people. They just can't take them home. But at the same time, they don't think they're going to be safe just staying in those little hills. And as they've already learned, there's not much to live on up there. Aaron already doesn't think he's going to be able to survive the winter. Even if they could get them crops and supplies and stuff to get through the winter, there's no farming up there. So this is something else they're having to, to think on and plan. They're trying to do it out of Aaron's earshot because they don't want to look like they're planning his life for him. But, you know, you have to assume he knows a little bit of that conversation's going on. So they make their way up towards the camp. They make really good time to the camp. Thomas, in his state of fear, gave very accurate directions. And they keep him in... Uh, on the chest of hold, in the chest of holding several while they got to stop and give it air. They consider not, but they do. And they uh, get all the way up there towards the camp. So once they get within a mile or so of the camp, they find a place that they can leave their horses. I am off somewhere safe, hoping they make it back. At that point, Dandy and Aaron are going on point. He's a drow elf and he's a sneaky dude. So he's also very good in the scouting and the things of that nature, much like Dandy is. So they're going to scout ahead separately, but, you know, not too far from each other, making sure that the rest of the party doesn't bumble into any type of traps or something like that, or just stumble into the camp. So the party's going slow, making sure Dandy and Aaron have time to warn them should they need to be warned. Dandy and Aaron make it to the camp first. Not necessarily together, but 
they know where each other are. Just good at that stuff. And they have some bad news. They arrive at the camp. What they don't find is a whole bunch of people and, a, and, a, and one giant. In fact, the camp is nearly empty. Still seems to be several people kicking around. A few of those goblins and orcs I was talking about. Maybe a couple of humans. But the camp looks mostly abandoned. Camp itself, a bunch of ramshackle tents, maybe some small sheds or little buildings that have been built. Um, but nothing super sturdy. You can tell that the camp is very uh, movable. It'd be easy for them to say, okay, this isn't a safe spot. We're moving five miles that way. And uh, it stinks. There's a lot of trash. It's obviously not a well-kept place. Um, so you know, there's that. Let's see. Yes, funny number day indeed. I agree. <laughs> Fix that. So yes. Um, they make their way back to the rest of the party. Give them the information. right? Let them know what's going on. They're like, hey, here's our problem. There's not a big group here. So immediately they realize they may be too late. The group has already left. They decide to check the camp anyways. See if maybe they can get word, maybe find something they can use to help figure out where they went, or even more so help figure out where, uh, you know, some kind of proof they could use to uh, incriminate him or Valen. So they all get to sneak up to the camp. It's not hard. There's not a lot of guards at this point. Like I said, there's still, it looks like some, they will come back to this camp eventually. Like, there's still a bunch of empty tents here and such. But there's a couple other bigger tents and such that obviously are probably where supplies and such are kept. They're a bit more organized. And there's one tent in particular that looks rather nice. A higher quality tent. Sure enough, as they're sitting there watching, taking stock of what's going on in the area, Willem comes walking up that tent. And he calls... And one of the humans that's kicking around comes over and, you know, Willem says something to him. He's a little far off. They can't hear what he's saying. He says something and nodding and such. And the guy nods and he runs off towards a pen where obviously horses were kept. And there's only a few in there. It looks like the guy's being sent to get Willem a horse. The party has to very, very quickly figure out, okay, what are we going to do? We've got a couple options here. We could wait till Willem leaves. Try and catch him on the road alone without, looks like, maybe eight, six or eight people in the camp at most. Or try and get him here and deal with these six or eight people because we want to leave them hanging around either. They start weighing their pros and cons. Oh, hello, Lex. Spicy episode. Trying, right? I'm doing my best to make sure it's entertaining. We had some relatively funny stuff right at the beginning. <laughs> I was pretty happy with it. Came out real well. So, like, if they go in here now, they may have to fight people. Which, you know, there's not that many. 
they could probably take him. Not too worried as much about that, but Willem might try to escape. Trying to get him on the road might work, but if they can't catch him and he can escape, it's going to be very hard to catch up with him and try to go after the caravan. But both sides, both kind of ways, have a little bit of concern or uh, danger to them. After a, a quick discussion, they determined they're going to try to deal with it here at the camp. Basically, they're going for two birds with one stone. If they can take out the uh, remaining humans and goblins and orcs that are here, that's less threat to potentially the caravan, because this group may be going to catch up with the other ones, right? Um, and if they can get a hold of Willem here, they have a better chance of you know, him not escaping. So they plan uh, a plan. Aaron and Dandy are going to be in charge of capturing Willem. Now, they know from traveling with Willem, Willem's no slouch. She's a bit of a adequate fighter. You don't get in a position like his without being able to hold your own. Um, well, Darsh, Mercy, Percy, I stopped saying their names back together, back and forth. Darsh, Mercy, Percy, Artemis, and Fia are going to deal with the six or seven dudes that are hanging around camp. And so they set up their plan. Dandy and Aaron make their way around the camp, close to behind, close as they can get to um, Willem's tent. That way, if he does try to make a break for it, they can try to get him. And then Darsh uh, basically starts it all off by walking into camp. They at first thought about doing some range stuff and things like that nature, but... They're not really a ranged group. Of all of them, the most ranged fighter they have is Dandy throwing her daggers or Aaron and his very nice crossbow. But they're going to be over there dealing with someone else. Darsh has his javelins, of course, but this isn't really a javelin situation. So they decide to just go on in. So he and Mercy, the party just starts making in. What sets it off, it's everything going, though, is there's an opportunity for Fia to fire off a couple of spells. Um... Not knowing what full threat is going to go on or if they're going to have to fight the full group, if they're going to try and catch up to them and stop them before they get to the caravan today, she decides not to use any really big spells she has. She's got like one fireball. She can cast fireball like one time. But she's got some magic missiles. So she starts popping off magic missiles and she targets the guy who was going after the horse. And... Those magic missiles, if you cast a magic missile spell, it never misses. As long as you can see your target, it is guaranteed to hit. It's one of the best single spells in magic, or in, uh, in, in magic, wizard or cleric. Guaranteed to do damage. And if you have a dungeon master who is very old school, rewards experience based on damage, originally it was determined that, you know, original rules... If you're fighting a hill giant, everybody who hits the hill giant divides the experience, right? you got a hill giant with 100 hit points. Darsh does 90 of them. Mercy does 5. Dandy and Artemis each do 1 hit point. They get an equal amount of experience. For a wizard, there's a big guy. Pew! Magic missile. Whew, I now get a fourth of the experience. You know, it's early on. That's how, that's how wizards get their experience early on in the game. If you don't have a DM that really rewards a lot of role-playing, which I try to. I try to do a good mix. So, uh, yeah. So she's, she pew-pews a few times, and uh, 
the dude who was going for the horse hits the ground. It's enough magic missiles she can fire to, uh, let's see, one spell she would see. So you get one at first level, one every three levels. That's third, fifth. She would be able to cast three magic missiles per spell. She can cast the spell twice. That is six magic missiles that are all 1d4 plus one. Assuming she rolls the very weakest, that's two hit points times six, 12 hit points. Odds are she's going to range up a little higher than that. She's able to take out the first guy. And that is how you do math as a dungeon master. <laughs> that's that's how combat works when you're running things. She doesn't know how many hit points the guy has, but I do. So, even, so I'm going to cast two magic missiles. Or I'm going to cast two magic missiles at this guy. Do I need to roll? That's very often a, a, a question. Do I need to roll? Or is it strong enough to just kill him? Let me think. 12 hit points. Minimum is the least you can do. The guy has eight hit points. Yeah, you kill him. You don't have to roll. Yeah, it's just one of those one of those things a DM has to be able to calculate pretty quickly. Um, <clears throat> so that guy hits the ground. Now, the people that see Darshan Mercy, they see a few pew pew, right? They don't really see his Artemis and Percy, who are staying back a little bit. Darsh and Mercy are heading in first. And while Darsh is a relatively scary dude, Mercy's not. And that's it's always been a, a failing of those that he ha- that she has fought. Because they see Mercy, and she's just this little lady in some armor, got nice gear on her. She's like 5'4. She's yeah, not huge. She's super crazy buff like Darsh is. So she looks like the easier of the two, and that is not the case in almost any situation. Darsh may do a little bit more damage, but uh, Mercy holds her own. So they decide to charge in. All the guys that happen, the few orcs and goblins. There's uh, two humans, two orcs, and two goblins. I'll say one more human. So there's seven people here. And they're going in at Darsh and friends. Majority of them are going to go at Darsh, right? A couple of them will go after Mercy. Because they'll think, oh, we'll weigh him down. Even a minotaur can't take five of us. And then when the other ones kill Mercy, they can join in and help. And in a perfect world, if you're a bad guy, that's what would happen. Not a perfect world. And those two go running in on Mercy, and within just a few hits, one's dead and the other one's trying to flee. <clears throat> Mercy just crushes the skull in of one of the... Uh, she has an orc and a human on her. And the orc, she's a th- morning star. That thing is heavy and magical. And just right on top of the thing's head, you know, parries it with a shield and one hit wonder. And that guy just crumples to the ground. The human that with him is like, makes him, I made a mistake. Like that very quick realization, like, whoa, and turns and tries to flee. Which Mercy does. She drops her shield and takes her morning star and hand over hand. She's been practicing this for a while. It's something she's been working, uh, the the lady who played her was working on that. For quite a while. To throw her morning star as a ranged weapon. Um, and she hits him to enough to knock him down. Like not enough to kill him. You know, not just not that good. But the guy was running pretty fast while she was finishing off that orc, and she whips that. As soon as she throws it, she starts running after. Right? As soon as it hits him, it's back in her hand again. <clears throat> he gets the wind knocked out of him. He's climbing back up. He's almost on his feet. <clears throat> Mercy just comes right up behind him. And <clears throat> some people might say that's not an honorable hit. 
people are murderers and killers. Honor is not in the, in the equation right now. Take them out before they hurt more people. That's a mercy point of view. And sure enough, she gets to that human and he goes down as well. He was almost standing up when she gets behind him with her morning star. It only takes one hit to completely crush him. The other five, not really seeing that, are too busy dealing with Darsh, who, while a Minotaur, is extra strong for a Minotaur. Again, as they come charging in, he literally cuts one in half with his first hit. Artemis and Percy have now moved into the field. Thea's with them. There are kind of three of them in the back. Thea's waiting to whip out a couple more magic missiles if someone tries to flee. That's what her job is in this if any of them break off and come after the wizard and cleric, Percy's job is to protect them. That's his role. And, you know, if needed be, he can rush in. If, if he feels that, you know, Darsh and Mercy happen to need help, he would step up to help. But more often than not, he's in the back protecting them and protecting everybody from being attacked from behind. If something happens and a group comes up out of the woods, he now has to step backwards and he has to defend their backs and the two casters. So he has a very important switch role there. Um, very often, <clears throat> back in the day, Mercy was always the one in the back, next to Artemis. Anything attacked from behind, and everybody had to turn around, party order switches, they now have their second strongest fighter in the front. And she always next to Artemis to protect her. Now, very often, Percy takes that slot. Sometimes Mercy's still in the back. Not as much as she used to be. <clears throat> So Darsh is just thwacking people. Um, he takes a few cuts and a few smacks from clubs, but again, with what armor he is wearing, because he does wear some, and with his incredibly high strength and dexterity, most hits are barely a flesh wound. Or, you know, somebody hits him with a club, it hits his chest, and he's like, what was that? You know, he doesn't barely feel it. Uh, you know, it's hard to crack a, a Darsh rib. It can happen, though. And Darcy just wading through them. And of course, with the, when there's just a couple left, Mercy's now free, and she's coming now almost from behind them, and they're in a Darsh-Mercy sandwich. Nobody wants to be in the middle of that action. Probably not. Giggity. Uh, oh, my goodness. Of course, with all this commotion going on, Willem cannot help but know something is going on. Sure enough, he pokes his head out of the tent and he sees Darsh and Mercy just schlocking these people. And he jumps back in real quick and comes running back out holding what looks to be two really big, like one's a backpack and one's like a saddlebag you throw over a horse and has stuff on the side. And he's trying to make a race for the horses behind some of the tents, avoiding the main combat. What he wasn't expecting was Dandy and Aaron. So Dandy and Aaron, uh, as soon as he comes out of the tent, he runs into Dandy. Aaron was in case he ran out of the back of the tent, but he didn't, so Aaron's coming around to help Dandy at this point. Um, let's see. Get to that specifics. <laughs> did that, did that. All right. Upon seeing Dandy, drops the one backpack, which he hasn't had time to put on yet, and draws his sword. You know, I'm going to take care of her quickly. And then he comes in and you know, takes a few swings, and Dandy, at this point, she's hoop-hacking. She's not dead, but she's got her hoop-hack. 
blocks them very easily. And at this point, he realizes who he's with. At first, it was like, oh, we're being attacked. I'm not realizing it's Mercy and Darsh. And he realizes who this is. And he's traveled with them. They took out two of his hill giants relatively easy and almost completely unscathed. He drops the saddlebag. And now he's attacking Dandy a little bit more calculated. Now, Willem, better fighter than Thomas was. He's actually very good. He was actually at one point captain of the city guard. That part they never told him. But he got that way for a while before retiring and going into the private sector. Although, even from the beginning, he's always worked for Phelan. A little tidbit for you guys behind the desk. So, I need to start using that phrase that way. That sounds cool. There's a little piece of information behind the dice, a.k.a. stuff that you know that the characters didn't, you know? It's a good term. I have to coin that and the dice. So, um, to rumble along that way. So, Aaron catches up very quickly. Now, <clears throat> Willem has no idea who Aaron is, but the fact that he's with them makes him a problem. <clears throat> And again, Willem is a very good fighter. They start to go back and forth and there's cutting and chopping. But very quickly, Willem, Willem learns he's outmatched. And he might have feasibly been able to take one of them if he fought one of them. But even Aaron and Dandy are surprised to find how well their fighting styles work together. You know what I mean? How well it works... because. Dandy with their hoop pack or daggers, Aaron with his sword and dagger, they their combats, it's very easy for Dandy to move into attack, Aaron to cover the parry that's coming to her and then make his they're very quickly can you know, are, are are kind of combining their, their attacks in a very natural way. Actually, because that's catchy. We like that phrase. I do too. A little be, behind the dice. Information that you know that your characters don't work on that. I'm going to have to come up with some way to use that. Get that out there. Get my name on it. <laughs> Maybe one day somebody famous will use it. I can be like, I remember the day, episode 69, giggity, giggity. And we came up with the that phrase. Um, <laughs> anyways. So yeah, their two combat styles work really, really well together. Um, not as well as, say, Michael and Dandy, who fought together for years, you know? Or even sometimes Quan and Dandy, who also spent years fighting together in different different situations and not. Uh, but Aaron meshes with her combat style quicker than either of those two did. Like, it's very quick to see, wow, we could really do some damage if we were to train together even a little bit. Um, so it doesn't take but just a few moments to take Willem down. And by taking him down, I mean injure him enough that they can take him alive. Because that was their goal. They need information. And they manage to do so. Uh, he does not successfully hurt either one of them. Which, you know, probably a hurt of pride. Uh, hurt his pride a little bit. But, again, together, they just did such a good job of covering each other. By the time the rest of the party gets over to the tent... Willem's down on his face, half covered in mud. Aaron's on his back, holding his arms while Dandy's binding him. He's not fighting at this point, because, you know, Darce just walked over. What's the point, right? 
Again, I'm going to get free. And, oh, never mind. Tie me up. It's like, that's, that's how I'd be, right? I'm like, I can get away from this, Kender. I can get the, oh, God. All right, just fine. Hurry up. You're hurting my arm. Just finish this. That's <laughs> I'd be Minotaur walks up. Like, I'm not getting away from him. Especially with his snazzy fast boots on, right? So they tie him up, take him back inside the tent. Darsh and Mercy take a look around the camp, as well as Dandy. Aaron, Bea, Percy. Say Percy? Who would be looking around? Darsh and Mercy would be looking around with Dandy. Yes. Percy, Artemis, and Fia are staying in there watching watching them. Because, well, he's tied up. Percy's more than capable of taking him, but even still, the mage would help. Uh, Artemis does not move to heal him at this point. She, Her first intention, you know, thought is to do so, but he hasn't taken any mage. He's beat up more than anything else. So they start searching the camp. They're looking for stuff. What can we find that would help us, right? Um, Dandy is able to tell that a large group, well, there's tons of trampling and such in here, a large group of people have left the camp recently, probably within the last 24 hours. The closest she could say with the amount of just footmarks and steps and crushed earth and mud around here. Even if you're in the woods, you got 50 people walking around the same area. It turns to mud very quickly. You know, there's a little bit of rain. Um, while searching around, they find um, in that tent of supplies that I mentioned earlier, they find white-haired wigs. They find some type of black goop that, looking at it, appears to be probably some type of makeup that they were using to try to make themselves look like drow. They also find a good cache of weapons. Let's say a good-sized cache of adequate weapons, right? The weapons are all identical. It's clear they were made by the same source. Looking at them, Mercy and Darsh, who are a bit more knowledgeable at this stuff, can say, these are all made by the same blacksmith or same group of blacksmiths. And with Darsh's knowledge specifically of how much he deals with Santriel, the Elven Kingdom, he can look at these and say, these were made by a human trying to make them look like they were Elven. These are human-made swords, but done in a kind of Elven design, a leaf print here or whatever, to try to make it look like they're Elven blades. But picking them up, you're like, this is not Elven quality. This is even close to Elven quality. It's a sword. It's a good sword. But it's not an Elven sword. But all this would, you know, if the weapons keep being found and they're consistent, would lead towards the feeling of being a, a, a unified group of people, right? Say they did attack a caravan and a sword got left behind for whatever reason. Another one later, another sword gets like, ah, oh, sword looks like that one. It's another one of the drow swords. You know, it's that type of mentality. It definitely efforts were being made to blame the drow. Hello, Bigman. Yeah, I know. We've been giggling about it all day. Episode 69. I'm a grown man who snickers like a child. I can't help it. <laughs> so, they find that as well as just basic materials, supplies you'd find. Blankets, food supplies, things of that nature. Although it doesn't appear to be a lot. <clears throat> they do find, though, are some empty crates and packages that are clearly things that were taken from other caravans. But again, not a lot. Uh, based on the amount of caravans, it's their understanding have been attacked. A lot of goods that were taken are not here. So either they used them up, or more likely, Willem has somehow found a way to resell them, or as part of the deal with that other kingdom, they've gone to them. Balin has them locked or hidden away somewhere. 
there's a selection of stuff that's been taken from caravans that is not in this camp. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, that's what they kind of find looking around the camp as a whole. Not much else. Inside the camp, or sorry, inside the tent, while Percy's watching Mr. Tied Up Willem, there's a table in there. It's a good-sized tent. It was obviously a tent that he slept in. In one corner, there's a little bed, a decent bed for, you know, considering what the rest of the camp looks like. But it also has a couple chests in it, and it's got a big table with some chairs around it where he obviously met with people he's given commands and such. So it was, it was a half-live-in, half-general's tent for all intents and purposes. As a previous uh, head of the guard of this of this city, Lights Hope, no, Star's Reach, sorry, Star's Reach, he would have that kind of a command feel to him. <clears throat> so, they're searching in there. They find, in two chests, a large amount of, of loot. Mostly coins, but some gems and some jewelry in there. Uh, it saddens them a little bit as they're going through the gems and jewelry to find specks of blood and such on them. These were clearly taken from victims at some point or another. Um... But clearly loot that Willem was keeping for himself. They also find other supplies, Willem's personal stuff. But most importantly, what they find in, in Buried Under the Gold, in one of those boxes, is a bundle of letters tied together. Taking them out, they're in common, and they're short but brief, but they are letters from Valen to Willem giving orders and discussing future plans and so on and so forth. As they're watching and reading these letters, only after a few he stops signing them, and then it's just V, and then it's just your partner, or then he just stops signing it together. But in the early letters, it's clearly handwritten, and he signed them, probably likely before this ever became as large as it is. Now, why are all these letters here tied up bundled underneath a bunch of a gold? Because Willem's not an idiot. And if anything happens and they got found out and Valen tried to put all the blame on them, he wanted something to hold over Valen's head as well. Valen may not even know he has them, but they're Willem's get-out-of-jail-free card. I thought we were doing what the city needed. It was the merchant lord who commanded me to do it. You know, that kind of a thing. Keeps those for himself. And sure enough, not only do they talk about Willem and what's going on, not only do they talk about how they're going to fake the drow, the, how the, the, the fake elven weapons will be arriving any day from the kingdom of blah, blah, blah. That's the kingdom that they're partnered up with, which I don't think I ever gave names to them now that I think about it, because it wasn't that important at the time. The little kingdom to the west that caught, wants to uh, hate, attack the big kingdom in the east. And so that's who Valen and Willem are uh, aligned with. These letters give them a lot of of ammo and information. With this, uh, they believe that they would be able to at least, you know, get uh, an inquiry made of whether it's real or not. The other merchant lords, whether or not everything else is true, the last thing the merchant lords want is A, for Valen to be cutting them out of the profit, because they're merchant lords, and number two, him trying to start a war between two of their best customers, only to cut them out of the profits. They don't want that. Obviously, they've been walking a line for decades, making sure that type of thing exactly did not happen. In their mind, if they are in fact not connected, and I'll tell you now, they're not. 
the drow were the problem. They came in and they're messing everything up. Alan's just as outraged. Some of his caravans have been attacked and his things stolen and probably returned afterwards, right? You know? So, you know, no reason that they suspect him. So finding the letters and finding fake weapons and so forth, they have enough to at least implicate Valen. He's saying Valen and Valen. We're going to make a decision. His name is Valen. I wrote it down. We're going with Valen. I'm horrible about mispronouncing names I created. Valen, implicating him enough that they believe that they should be able to get that taken care of. But that's only part of the problem. They need to stop this caravan. Now, they know where, which road the caravan's coming on. They were on that road. And based on the timeline they were given, they could probably estimate a rough estimate of several miles of where that might happen. What are they going to do? Do they race after the bad guys? Stop them before they can get to the caravan? Do they try to get ahead of them, warn the caravan? Do they try to go to the city and warn them to send help for the caravan? Well, that last option is automatically out. Don't have time for that. By the time they got to the city, and the city gathered a bunch of people and then sent them up the road, it could be too late. These guys have already traveled the distance to the northeast. They're actually closer to this than anyone else. They have to make some plans. How are we going to do this? But they decide, at first, they need to talk to Willem. Uh, let me find that part. So, of course, he's tied to a chair, sitting up in a chair and by the table. Of course, he's kind of sitting on the table, so on and so forth. And everybody else is either standing or sitting. <clears throat> no one on his bed, because that's just considered gross. Stinky. And uh, Mercy's asking questions. Now, Willem, unlike Thomas, doesn't mind having a conversation. Although he's not giving him anything they really need, other than to warn them it's too late. You'll never catch up to them in time. When the caravan falls, everything we're working towards will be done. You're going to gain nothing by doing this. I don't even know why you're helping. Instead, why don't you work for me? You worked for me once before. You made some good money. Put a lot more in your hand. Those two chests you see over there? It'll, nothing compared to what I've already got stored away. And what I have stored away is nothing compared what Valen can get put in your hand. Because obviously he sees them with the letter. They probably said, we know about you and Valen. Like, you know, they're gonna, that conversation happened already. He's like, you think, what, they, he can pay you? For what you guys got? God, you guys are better than a group of hill giants. You killed most of my damn hill giants. Which at first I was mad about. Man, did that put me in demand. You guys in the background, the type of damage you could do when this whole thing hits the fan? Just saying. Put a lot of money in your pocket. Anything you want. Because again, he doesn't know who they are. Right? They're just a group that came up here and now are involved. He doesn't know Queen Mercy, Artemis of the Temple, whatever the case is. He doesn't quite know that they already have more money than Valen. And they do. Each of them has more money than Valen. Each of them has more money than th that all of the Merchant Lords put together. The they are filthy rich. 
They really, really are. Money's not a problem for these. They do it for the hero. And Dandy gets to make really cool poses once in a while. That's important business. So he's trying to bribe them, and of course they're not falling for that. Like, no, we don't need your money. And he starts asking, he's like, what do you care? You came up here to make some coin. Why do you even care? Mercy looks at Aaron, nods. Aaron's like, all right, and turns into a drow. Well, that catches Willem's attention. He, well, now that's a handy little trick, isn't it? I see. It's your allies with them. Friends with the drow. Quite a turn in such a short period of time. And let's see here. Too late to save the caravan. They already left earlier that day, and there's far too many for them to stop. That was the other piece of information. Even if they try to stop the caravan, that's still like 40 people and a hill giant who are well-armed. Maybe fake elven blades, but they're good swords. They have bows and arrows, and they know there's one mage in there. So that's more than these, even with an ambush that this party could just take out easily. You know what I mean? They don't have. They, Mercy could get reinforcements here. Be nothing, but there's no way she could do that. So that's a concern. So he sits there and he's looking at Willem's ring and he's like, There's enough money for all of us, even your drow friend here. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I know you guys got it pretty rough up in those caves, right? Kind of money Valen could pay. You know, we never really quite considered actually having the drow attack the caravans, but you know, you and your people popping out authentic drow would add a lot of credence to this. Again, you guys don't even begin to know how much money is changing hands throughout this entire situation. There's enough for all of us to live like kings, which again, ironic because Mercy Darsh are basically kings. Enough to live like kings. And you, sir, the amount of gold you have, build anything you want for your people. Build your own town. Hell, we'll help you take one over. The town in the area you like, we'll take that one. You can live there. Home's ready for you and your people. Farms already planted. Take them over. We can get you protection on there. Why not? Balin can get anything done. If this war breaks out, everybody's going to have a lot worse things to worry about. Let's see you shouldn't, uh, why you shouldn't profit from this as well. Wasn't expected, but, you know, this could work out well for everybody. But Dandy's getting upset listening to this, this bribing and all this stuff. We could do this, we could do that. She gets irritated. She comes stalking up to the table. She reaches her hand inside the chest, one of the chests, and fills it with coins and just kind of throws it at the table in front of them. And they ricochet off him and his face and shit like that. She gets mad. Because here he is just trying to buy everybody, right? This, she says, this was all it took for you to kill innocent people. Gold was enough to endanger and threaten this man's people, point of the drow. Men, women, and children. Now, we know that doesn't go over well with this group of people. You do not mess with kids. Dandy and friends do not tolerate you messing with kids. That's all it took was a few measly coins. And Warren just laughs a little bit and looks her kind of right in the eye and says, get off your high horse there, little missy. 
you first came to these parts, you couldn't wait to kill the dragon. I remember. We first met you, we talked about it, and we said the word drow. You couldn't wait for your blade to taste drow blood. They've changed your mind now, but let's not forget why you came here to begin with. Even had I told you the truth when you first walked into these lands, I doubt it would have stopped you anyways. Dandy's head bowed and her eyes closed. Her friends could see by her pained expression that his words had hit their mark. You gotta imagine that. In this whole situation, especially in the cave when they finally decided to help Aaron, he clearly got the point across. All this happened because you hated us so much it was easy to manipulate you into what I needed. Not in a because we wanted to take from you, but because I needed help. I was able to use your hatred for me and my people, even though we've never done anything to you. That's all it took to get you here. That, that hits her hard, because Dandy is not that kind of person, normally. You know? Dandy sees herself as a hero, not as this smash through the glass and make a heroic pose, but helping people. Even whether it's her and Michael trying to help people, you know, from the undead, or working with her friends to help save the world from evil monsters and people that want to oppress. Dandy's always viewed herself as someone who does good. But in this situation, she came here, we thought of doing the opposite. Finally, the pain look faded from her face, faded from her, and the inner emotion cleared from her. So the sadness kind of clears, and she gets a very just emotionless kind of look. With a small nod, she opens her eyes and looks directly into Willem's face. You're right, he said. We came here with hatred and vengeance in our hearts. I, more than anyone else, led that charge. I wanted to kill every drow I found. Well, she's saying this. She looks over there for a moment. Every drow I found bring to them the same kind of pain they brought to my people. Thankfully, Aaron showed us our folly before it was too late, before we did something that we would regret forever. Dandy leaned in closer her head barely a foot from Willem. Again, just a blank look on her face. And that's the difference between us and you. We regret the things we've done wrong. We mourn our failures, and we fight night and day, fighting for the light and hoping that for our failures, one day we might be saved. That's the difference, Willem, between you and us. It's too late to save you. Before anyone else realized what had happened, Dandy's knife had left its sheath and quickly been returned. Willem's eyes were open in shock and pain. He began to cough and gurgle as the blood began to flow from the deep, deep cut across his throat. No one moved. No one knew what to do or to think. Dandy sat there, for a few moments, till finally Willem's body went limp. Nodding again, she turns to her friends. We have to hurry if we're going to stop the caravan. We don't have much time. And then walked out of the tent. So straight up, she's like, 
right across his throat. For all the things, because you remember, Aaron had already talked about how he'd lost people, right? Not only from disease and hunger and so on and so forth, but he'd lost people here because of these laws. He lost many drought. Um, not to mention how many died of hunger, starvation because of this whole situation. And Dandy, regretting this, wants to make up for it. This guy was the cause of all of it. Even the cause of her to do, inspire her to do the things. And while she blames herself correctly, no saving this. And they don't have time to carry around a bunch of And that's one thing about Dandy. When the need comes, Dandy does what needs to be done. More than anyone in the group. Everyone just kind of shocked. For a moment, during it, Artemis almost thought, should I, should I step up and heal him? But the whole time, Dandy just sat there under the table watching this man die. Walked out. They're like, wow. She's... And, and Aaron, you can imagine how he feels, because he's like, that's what she wanted to do to me and my people. That hatred was pointed at us, and now she's hating herself for hating someone that much. It's like a double blame there. And that's a lot of guilt to carry around. Is what if... Aaron hadn't. How many drow, maybe even children, could have been killed by what Dandy and her friends did? <clears throat> A lot of weight to have on your shoulders. Okay. In that moment, looking at her, friends can only kind of liken her to Michael. The man is killed probably more undead than any individual person on Merged World. And every single day feels absolutely no better about the thousands of people who died when he was the, when he was merged with the death gen. Every life that died when he was connected to that, he blames himself for. And he can kill a thousand undead for every one. He's never going to forgive himself. That pain, that anger, and that hatred that allows him to merge with Menander and be as powerful with her as he is when fighting undead. So, this is a group people that have a lot of great stuff, but there's there's some stuff that weigh on some of these people that uh, just doesn't go away. You know what I mean? I wanted to bring that back up in the story. I wanted, to, I wanted to make sure that type of thing was addressed. It's a good story of heroes over darkness and things of that nature, but they're sometimes don't just win everything. Sometimes when you do win, you don't win the way you'd like with the people you want. I like to think back to Moog in that situation. Shadow, or even Willow. Friends that unfortunately passed along the way. They won. They beat Nylat. They paid a lot to get there. Even in, now that they've got kingdoms and temples and islands and Danny's got her shop and Michael and they've got all their kids. Every so often they still get sucked into one of these situations. Like this one, which was largely her fault. That uh, causes them to win in ways they'd prefer not. Something, something to address. 
The rest of her friends, at this point, they just leave Willem there. They're like, how much we can do here? No one's got time to bury him. They left this morning, is what he said. There's no way you can stop them. Going to the city is not going to help. Going there and taking the time to convince them that they're, they're even giving the right information, they don't have time. So the choices are to go and try to somehow stop the group going to ambush the caravan, or try to warn the caravan. Neither one of these things are optimal. They have to make a decision. And so they decide to try to warn the caravan. They go in and throw themselves foolishly against this force, even if they take some out. Might be enough to save the caravan, but what if they all die? Alan gets to continue on with his plans and plots, right? Can't have that. They got to make sure that stuff gets taken care of as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. So after a brief conversation, a decision is made. One that not everyone is happy. They're sending Aaron away. Aaron's idea. He's going to go back to his people. He's going to take one of these horses, because he doesn't have time to go back and get his. He's going to take one of these horses. He's going to take those letters, some of this fake drow stuff, that he can carry, but won't slow him down, and get to his people, and try to get to some of his warriors. Because if he can get even just a few of his warriors, he can get one of his own you know, defense parties that kind of travels their little area protecting the mountainous borders, I guess. If he can get a few of them, that can make a huge difference. Because they're not, they may be starving and hungry, but they've got good weapons and armor. Managed to pull that off. So they can get the drow to help, that's something. So he goes off on his own with that, and he's taking the letters and stuff with him, because if he, they fail, he, in human form, might still be able to go into the city and get Valen, 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 uh caught for all the deeds, right? And that still might buy him and his people some time, at least get them, the heat off of them for a little while so they can find themselves a way to move on or wherever. So them having him having that proof with his gem is one way that even if they fail at this, still may be able to, to save his people. The rest of them decide to go booking it as quickly as possible. And so they do. They, make their, they grab a couple of the horses, which aren't as good as their horses, and barely can handle Darsh. And use those to get back to their horses. Because Darsh's horse, a very big horse. We talked about this at the beginning of the adventure. Dandy breeds big Darsh-sized horses. Specifically for when Darsh comes by. And, to be honest, in case Darsh wants to buy some horses. You know? They're friends. Doesn't mean they can't do a little business. You know what I mean? Can't make a little wheeling and kneeling on there. I'm just saying. <clears throat> I'm sure he can get a hold of stuff that she can't, right? I'm sure that there's some trade between their two groups. Wheeling and dealing. So they decide to head south and then kind of go south and then cut to the west get on the road and try to travel on the road if they can get on the road they'll be able to go much faster than these people and a hill giant are going to be going through the woods right because they're still trying to be sneaky the hill giant isn't just walking around la 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 dancing through the woods he doesn't want all the towns and farmers in the area to know that there's a group of people in a hill giant they're trying to be sneaky so they're going to be going relatively slow our heroes got some speed on their hands. 
So they are able to successfully burst. They only short, or bleh, they only sleep a short while. They stop for just a quick four or five hour rest, take off as quickly as they can. Um, they don't have a whole lot of time to get a full night's sleep. They get the rest, eat, sleep, pray, read spells, all that kind of stuff. Refuel up for potentially the battle ahead. And then start racing down the road. Occasionally they come across other people. Even small groups, wagons heading to town. Like I said, some of those things still happen during the day. People just don't really travel the road at night anymore. They know they're going to, even with booking it, it's going to take another day, day or so. When they were given their 10 days until the caravan, that's till the caravan entered the land that was considered Star's Reef. Still going to take them a couple days travel to get to Star's Reef. I felt I should clarify that. And I realized it while I was writing today that I said they had 10 days to save the caravan. Accurate and inaccurate. They had 10 days till the caravan enters into these lands. It can be then snagged anywhere on that road. Right? Because they don't know exactly 10 days they're going to be on this spot, and that's where well, Valen does, but nobody else does. So, they have 10 days till they enter. They don't stop and talk to most people. They're booking it. A couple times they stop by wagons that appear to have just a couple farmers on it, ask a bit of directions, that kind of thing. Have you seen anything about the caravan, so-and-so? Have you got any water or wine we can buy off you? They got stuff in the chest they're holding, so if they need to stop and have a quick bite, they can. But grab it here. Give it bag of apples. Here, here's a bunch of gold. Give me your bag of apples. And they're all running down the road on horses eating apples. You know, what they can to stay mobile at almost all times. Mercy breeds incredibly high quality horses. They are fast. In fact, if racing, probably a lot of her horses would win. The only real competition that they would have. Uh, would very likely be Firemoon himself, who also has a good selection of horses. Oddly enough, here's an interesting behind-the-dice moment for you. Um, way back in the day, one of the very first things in Serenity, Mercy was like, I want horses. I want to breed horses. Breed horses, have horses, sell horses. I want to... That was a big thing for the young lady who played Mercy. She actually owned a horse and rode horses. Family owned horses. It was a big, important thing for her to have horses. We go back a decade or two before that, and my buddy Scott, who was playing Rafe, Fire Moon, really loved horses and wanted Rafe to have horses. He wanted to have cool horses because one of his, his best friend was Tabork the Minotaur, and he wanted a horse that Tabork could ride because they always would try to get horses. And they have to, is there one that can hold a Minotaur in this town? No. Crap. And so he was always in a wagon while everybody else was on a horse. And until he's like, no, I want to breed horses. So Jabork's got a horse. So it's very funny to me that they both, both of these kingdoms had that, that one driving force. They both want to breed horses. So they both have really good horses. You can imagine that they'd be friendly competitive in that regard, right? Especially at the Darstopian games when there's horse racing. You can imagine Fire Moon and, and Serenity are always going to be the front runners. Who's going to win this year? So just something like that. I, I thought I'd throw it's an interesting that both of those players really wanted their kingdoms to be horse-based. Kind of cool. But because of that, they're making really, really good time, booking it down the road. And they pass by the spot where the previous ambush was. 
and they're trying to get to the to the caravan before it's too far in. Because they, they, they're assuming the caravan's going to get to go a little bit of a distance, right? They're not going to jump them the second they walk into the property uh, of, of Star's Reach. They're, they're going to give them a little bit of time to get in there. That way, the evil drow from that area will, will be a little bit more realistic, right? Plus, it's a group of bunch of people in a, half, in a hill giant, right? They don't want to travel any further than they have to. And then try to carry loot and spoils and everything all the way back across the countryside up to the northwest uh, again. That's also not intelligent. So they're probably going to get them at least at the halfway point, if not closer to the city. But this caravan's supposed to be pretty well guarded. So Darsh and friends are booking it down the road. And... They finally stop for a moment to rest the horses, and as they are, a wagon comes along with just, you know, some humans in it. They're looking at them very nervously, and Artemis steps out and waves, and they're like, oh, it's a cleric, okay. And they pull the reins, and they're like, hello, and it's a el beautiful elven cleric. Again, not something you just see walking around the woods sometimes. Uh, maybe in the woods, but not on a road. Yes, my lady, the guy, guy gets down, drops to a knee. There's a guy in there with a couple kids. He leaves the kids. But he hops down, drops to an ER. I was like, get up. You're fine. Blessings, ominous, ominous, whatever. <laughs> like, hey, sorry to bother you, but we're trying to make there's a caravan ahead. We're trying to get to it, warn it of potential danger. Have you seen anything? He's like, yes, actually. I did. Last night, uh, when I was, my, my, my kids and I, of course, were traveling from farther down the road. It's not safe to be on the road at night. You guys shouldn't be out on the road at night. There's drow out here. Like, oh yeah, of course we forgot. Like, there's drow out here, you gotta be careful. There's a small town that weighs up. We'd spent the night heading into Star's Reach to sell some of my insert prop here. Um, and we we, you know, we stayed there for the night. There was a, a big group of people. Men on horses. Weapons and such. Said they were part of a big caravan. We're also spending the night there. We left really early in the morning. We wanted to try to beat the morning traffic. So we got ahead of them, but uh, they didn't seem to be traveling too, too, too much in a hurry. They mentioned something about a caravan. Kids were in bed. I was down having a drink. Nice folks, anyway. Our, our heroes are like, oh, excellent. Thank you very much. They get on their horses and they, they start heading down the road. And they're only down the road a couple of minutes before Denny said, did he say there was a caravan? Mercy's like, no, there were people who said they're with a caravan. Well, if you're with a caravan, wouldn't they have seen a caravan? I'll have to stop for a moment. And like, we're confused by this. So they continue hurrying. A little bit more now nervous about what they might find. It's late afternoon when they finally come across the group of knights or soldiers or warriors, whatever you want to call them. I probably wouldn't say knights. They're not all in plate mail, but they're pretty well armored. Pretty well armed. And they all are wearing tabards that match. Now, Artemis and party, they recognize this as the symbol of the kingdom from the east. 
right? They know that's the group coming with the caravan. Are they really with the caravan? There, there's about 12 of them, and there is no one in a wagon. 12 guys on horses, all well armored. Darsh and them show up and are like, hey, hold up, we need to chat for a minute. Now, these guys immediately hands go to weapons. Imagine, they're coming through this area under the knowledge of people trying to, you know, stop them and such, and steal their goods. Well, these none of these people look like drow. One of them is a really big minotaur, and we should probably be, oh, wait, there's a cleric of healing in that group. Once again, Artemis saves the day. Artemis gets off her horse and Mercy next to her, and they go walking up. We, we apologize for interrupting your travels, gentlemen, but it's imperative that we speak with you. Everybody else stays on their horses, including Darsh on his great big horse. Two of the men hop off their horse, come walking over, they nod respectfully to Artemis, and introduce themselves as Wilson and Merrick. Wilson and Merrick are the, I would say, commanders. Not generals, but, you know, they're in charge of this group of warriors. And Arsene goes, we hate to intrude. We know there's a caravan coming from your kingdom. Are you a part of that caravan? Look at each other like, I have answers we just want to tell anybody, but we're standing in front of an elven cleric of healing. So, you know, what you going to do, threaten us with healing? Like, yes, we are. Caravan is about a day, day and a half behind us. We're heading, we're, the, we're a small group sent out front to see if there's any problems or trouble. And so we, if we find anything, we're going to go back and continue with the caravan. Janarmus is like, excellent, awesome. We have to tell you something. First of all, let me introduce myself. This is Artemis Silverstar, and I am Queen Mercy Harriton with Waylon of the Kingdom of Serenity. Guys' eyes open up, look at each other, and they're like, we've heard of Serenity. Like, really? He goes, yes, we've heard of you very much so. In fact, the kingdom has quite the reputation of being a safe and friendly place to all around it. Although it is quite far to the south, what brings you here? Or she's like, oh, thank God, someone's heard of me. Not like in a greedy kind of way, but in a, oh, this might be easier. Well, this is Lady Artemis of the Temple of Serenity. And they're like, ah, now you we've heard even more of, the Lady of the Temple. I'm shocked to find you away from the temple. Because, you know, you got to think about that, right? Here's the great and powerful magic lady of the temple. Why would she leave, right? I mean, she's the head of the healing in the temple and the good and the power and the magic and the stuff, right? So you don't expect to run into her on the, on the road with a minotaur and some friends. Hundreds, if not a thousand miles to the north in a kingdom that has no affiliation with it. But she's an elven clear. She fits all the stuff. She's not a fake elf. They can look at her and say, this is a clear of healing. Again, it is not common for a cleric to, for someone to pretend to be a cleric, or a cleric to pretend to be a cleric of someone else, and or being the one example. Of, that, that's outside of that. And Pandora. So, they're explaining the basics. They're like, we've come to warn you, caravan going to be attacked. They're like, what? They're like, no, I'm serious. They're like, what? 
We've heard where this could be. How do you know? And Percy and Artemis begin to tell them everything they know, including the drow. Explain to them the drow are the ones that are not attacking. The drow are being blamed and implicated in this. And they have a couple of the wigs. They brought some of that stuff with them as well. They're like, here, here's wigs. Here's the black stuff they were using. Here's the elven blades, blah, 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 blah. But the most important piece of information they have is Balin is working against you to start a war with the with this kingdom all the way over to the west that doesn't like you. More than anything else, the kingdom in the east doesn't like them either. And that's that's the thing that's like, we could believe this. Mm, the drow thing sounds fishy, but that they're involved, our mortal enemy, that we're only peaceful because we could crush them like Wadhams. Little Braveheart quote there. I'll throw that in once in a while. Um, it's just one of those things, right? Do we could believe that potentially this is true? Lex says, why the, why the lady lever based across the other side? Wait, that's not the job. <laughs> it's true. Again, normally queens and kings and heads of temples, even someone like Darsh, who's technically a merchant lord at this point. These aren't the folks you just find out adventuring, right? These guys have retired. They said they have minions for these type of things. Not our guys. These three ladies and a minotaur have absolutely no problem getting on the road and thumping skulls, which Darsh effectively did at the beginning of this episode. They explain what's happened. They say, we have a guy tied up in... The, you can't see him, but we have a... We better not tell about the chest of holding. They don't tell everybody about that. We have a prisoner already that can validate some of this stuff. Have these letters and so on and so forth. The drow are not your enemies, but some folks are going to be pretending to be drow are going to attack you. Not only to hurt you and take your stuffs, but to start a war that your kingdom could end up looking like the bad guy. Because that's kind of what all this is for. Attacking their caravans so these people pull out of the agreement with all the other kingdoms. That's going to make the other kingdoms nervous and want to do the same thing. And if, this, and if the little kingdom is now being attacked by that big kingdom because of whatever reason, all the other kingdoms are like, who are we going to pick on? The big guy or the little guy? It's going to cause a lot of chaos in the area. Two gentlemen are hearing the story in the tale, and they listen to all this, and they're very shocked by what they're hearing, but sure enough, I mean, at this point, I should say, because I forgot, this is my fault, everybody switched into their, their regular clothes. So Percy's wearing his Templar gear. Mercy's wearing her Serenity armor. You know what I mean? Artemis is wearing her fancy robes. Everybody's wearing the like, dandy and Darsh look the same. <laughs> no one recognizes Darsh's emblem really up here anyways. Uh, but, you know, everybody's in their special gear. So here's someone wearing armor of serenity. Even if they've never seen it, it has all the call marks of it. Templar, holy Artemis, and obviously high-ranking robes. Um, you know, it's a believable story. The kender makes them a little nervous. I'm not sure why you have a kender here. Who wants to travel with one of them? But, you know, it doesn't, we're not going to judge you. You're a cleric. You, you have higher callings than we understand. And they're like, we have to get to that caravan and warn them that they're coming. They're like, but even if they are, where are they, where's the attack going to be? How's it going to happen? They're like, we don't know. We've got to get back. He's like, well, we're a, day and a, we're a good day, day and a half away from them. From what you're saying, that attack could happen before we even get back there. We're the advanced scout. And while there's a good protection... On the caravan, more than what's being attacked, a hill giant and a surprise could take out a lot of that. And you mentioned there's a mage, which again, 
something that hasn't happened to any of these before. We have a we have a, a mage with them too, probably, but you know, unexpected attack from a mage, fireball in the middle of a caravan, that's a problem, you know? So they're like, we have to get back, but do you think we'll make it in time? Is what you know, is what kind of what Dandy's asking, and they're like, Well, we have to try. We've got a day and a half to get back there. We of course the upside is the caravan is coming towards them. Caravan will stop at night. They don't have to. The horses are going to get tired. They've got to figure out something to do. So they have no choice, but to, the knights are like, okay, we'll take your word on this situation because of who and what you are. Um, we'll get back to the caravan and warn them, and then we'll have to decide what we're going to do from there. If they aren't already under attack. And so with that, everybody hops back on their horses. They join up with these gentlemen who are from the kingdom to the east and start heading back the direction those gentlemen came from, further down the road, to try to get to the caravan, hoping they can make it there before it gets attacked. And that's where we're going to stop for today. You're at the two-hour mark, and as I've said, I'm trying to keep these a little bit closer to two hours. I mentioned it before, but I'll say it again. I've received some feedback that for those listening to the audio podcasts, sometimes it's a little hard to listen to three and four hours of this. So I am trying to be a little bit more considerate keeping it around the two-hour mark. Fortunately, I have a bunch written. So uh, I will say this. Uh, Two weeks from now will be the next episode of Merge Worlds. It will be the last episode of this story. Uh, In fact, probably won't even take the whole episode, which means... In that episode, we're going to be starting the next phase of the, or the next chapter in this line, the next adventure, if you will. And I can tell you all this. We are about to hit the stuff I have been planning for a very, very long time. We are going to start getting to some serious meat of this story and what is going to set basically the future of everything on Merged World. So I'm very excited to get to that. Uh, introduce potentially some new characters I'm very excited about. My wife almost ruined. Um, but we may even get started on that next week. Because, you know, a lot of times there's that little pre-stuff that happens between the adventures. We'll definitely hit some of those things, right? Uh, we'll get to tell some of those things and then maybe intro into the next story. So I am excited to get to that, right? Uh, let's see here. I got bees on my world. They attacked me like four times. So back to square one for Yeah, I understand that, brother. I'm not a fan either. All right, folks. Uh, I would like to say again, thank you very much for watching these stories and streams. I really appreciate it. If you had a good time, whether you're watching this today, tomorrow, or 10 years down the road, it'd be awesome if you'd click the like button. And if you haven't already, give us a subscribe. Hit the subscribe, hang out with us. Um, Merge Worlds is every other Thursday on YouTube at 8 p.m. Eastern. On the off weeks, we have our Behind the Dice series where I talk, do different D&D conversations while working on different D&D projects. Um, I would really recommend if you like Merge Worlds and D&D stuff, you might want to swing by the next episode of Behind the Dice uh, because I'll be working on some stuff very likely that might prep towards the future. Not gonna say you'll get hints or spoilers, but uh, you might get to see some cool things. That'll be this next Thursday. Now, I am back tomorrow night over on my Twitch channel, Only Draven Gaming. One word, no space, no underscore. 
Um, I'll be streaming some Minecraft over there. Got a new pack we're going to be jumping on. Hopefully some of you might decide to swing by and see that. Uh, as well as I'll be streaming different stuff throughout the weekend. Saturday is our extra special duo stream with um, Colonel Gaming. If you don't know Colonel Gaming, it's Colonel underscore Gaming on Twitch. Highly recommend it. Great dude. Great content. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate you coming by and let me tell you more of my story. I had a lot of fun. All right. But I do want you all to have yourself a wonderful evening. I hope you have a most excellent weekend um, as we are moving closer towards the Christmas season. You might even get to see a little bit of a holiday themed section of this story. I've been known to do that. All right. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, it would be amazing if you wouldn't mind giving it a rating, all the stars or the likes or the whatever. If you have iTunes or Spotify and you haven't already, it would be wonderful if you wouldn't mind giving this podcast a follow over there. Uh, maybe leave a review. Um, it would be awesome. It always helps get it in front of more people's eyes. The more people that follow it and review it, the more people it gets recommended to. Thank you so much for letting me tell my tale. I hope you all have yourselves a most wonderful weekend. All right?